Angela Sakamano was not born tough, but she was given the opportunity to grow into the fierce woman that she is today almost immediately. She entered this world via Liam and Amanda Gualtieri as the youngest of three sisters, Berenice and Charlotte having arrived earlier. Much like the other three girls, she grew very attached to their kind, loving, but very strict mother. This became a necessity when, at just two years old, her feckless father resigned from his duties and left the four women to fend for themselves without so much as a note. Although a traumatic event, no doubt, it was the selfish act of the man who gave her life that made her and her family unit the galvanized one that they are today. In fact, it did not take long for Angie's mother to revert back to her maiden moniker, Sakamano, and, as an act of unity, all the daughters followed suit. As the baby of the family, Angie was bequeathed the benefit of seeing both of her sister's mistakes and learning from them without personal consequences. She was wise enough to use this advantage often and thus was immune to many of the harsher lessons of life, which moved her along the ranks of school, sports, and relationships much quicker, but with the cost of a deep-seated naivety. Unfortunately, this could best be seen when the stakes were the highest. To give an example, she would select classes in high school with the consultation of her sisters, who could recommend the most lenient teachers and the best way to secure a top grade. Angie would, of course, finish with a stunning GPA, but she knew well that both her SAT and AP scores suffer substantially from the lack of actual understanding of the material. This all culminated in her missing out on all of her top school choices, but her determination only grew with the failures, and she had both the work ethic and dedication to get the most out of any situation thrown at her. Upon completion of her undergraduate studies, Angie took a job at a law firm where she assisted paralegals with a wide range of cases. She had no interest in legal work, but she figured it would be wise to get some professional experience while she saved up for her master's coursework, which she was set to start as soon as financially appropriate. The job was, of course, excruciatingly boring, and she was barely compensated for her effort when you factored in the high rates this particular firm charged. They even made her pay for parking at their own building. Although she became friendly with a horde of top attorneys from whom she would receive numerous invaluable letters of recommendation, her prime takeaway from that job was simply that she would do anything she could from that point on not to get stuck in an office like that. True to her word, she began working as a customer relations specialist at a local venue soon after. Here, Angie really found her calling, with all the loud music at night, the hip, interesting clients, and of course the free and ever-changing hours. It was while working here that she completed the majority of her dating. Being an attractive woman with a personality many eligible bachelors would describe as spitfire, she had no shortage of offers. In fact, she used to joke, never with Jack of course, that she could probably have eaten every meal without spending a dime those few years. Angie went through the typical musician, businessman, model, and even dork until the disillusionment began to set in and creeping thoughts common with women in their mid-twenties of dying childless and alone took firm root in her mind. Thankfully, she was raised right and knew her worth, so she continued to date top-tier prospects with a healthy frequency, although this time around she was much more strict with who earned a second opportunity at her company. Unfortunately, nothing stuck and she could not figure out why. She was not a particularly romantic person, but she did suffer from the typical beautiful young woman's desire to marry a rich, tall, and handsome man with a sparkling personality, lightning wit, and the incessant desire to write poetry and prepare romantic getaways in his free time. However, she was smart enough to know this man did not exist, and whatever it was she was looking for would not arrive in the packaging she expected. Meanwhile, her oldest sister, Berenice, better known as B, had just married a wildly successful entrepreneur. 
This wedding was a magnificent occasion for which their mother spared absolutely no expense from his massive earnings. Angie loved the organizational elements and the many little traditions that went into preparing for such a big day, and she loved the actual day even more. There was indeed a sort of malaise that fell upon her as the reception wound down, and she realized that everyone was growing up and she had not even had a serious boyfriend yet. If she looked back now, she would find it ludicrous, but at that moment, she felt as if everyone was so far ahead of her and her window to secure that perfect life, balanced with career, family, love, and happiness, was just starting to close on her. Angie ignored the noise and simply kept working harder at her job. Soon enough, she rose through the ranks to the booking department, where she began to increase her earnings exponentially while also garnering attention from top employers around the Los Angeles area in the process. She took lunches with executives and directors for much bigger companies, but was wise enough to wait for the perfect move to make her leap. This would come in about three months from that moment when Staples Center came calling. Not even six months into this new role, she received a phone call from her mother. Since it was on company time, she dismissed it, but three subsequent tries later, she finally answered. Battling tears, her mother informed her that she was going to be an aunt. Charlotte, the middle child, was welcoming the first grandchild for Mama Sakamano this coming spring. Angie herself almost screamed at the news, jumping up and down with excitement. After ending the call, she ran through the office telling her co-workers how she was set to be anti-Angie. It was only a few years later when she would walk along the hallways of Staples Center while the Kings were getting obliterated by the Florida Panthers, and a very shy but even sweeter man by the name of Jackson would begin the process of stealing her heart. This would once more prove the value of patience and reward Angela for consistently adhering to her high standards. She refused to marry the flashy club promoters. She turned down the tempting entertainment jobs offered to her. She even passed on a chance to become a regional manager for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Angie always knew what she wanted, and she had no fear in working or waiting for that perfect opportunity. But she always knew how to adjust her goals based on each particular situation. All of this maturity and focus led her to the unrivaled career position she currently held, and to the partnership with the one-in-a-million Jack Narosi. She could now fall asleep next to him in their beautiful San Gabriel Valley home and express her gratitude for all that life had given her and all that it still had to give. A fundamental principle that both Jack and Angie thought they learned at an early point in life was that each person is always on their own timeline. There are endless factors when it comes to maturing, achieving life's milestones, and building whatever they deem as a balanced existence. Just for some examples, Angie would be the last of her sisters to get married, and Jack would be quick to avoid the subject of when exactly he lost his virginity. However, both tried to spend as little time as possible dwelling on the speed at which they reached these moments because they understood that the timing was perfect for them, and that was all that really mattered. Snack's timing was apparently just as unique, much to Angie's chagrin. It had now been over six months since they had moved in, and he still had some of his unopened boxes stacked in the corner of the living room. Things had settled down from that hectic move-in day, and the routine of actually living with one another had, for the most part, set in for the couple. Angie was comfortable cooking in her kitchen. Jack was elated to finally enjoy late nights of Simpsons reruns on a TV where no one would bully him to change the channel. All was running smoothly as the shiny coat of novelty began to lose its shimmer in place of a warm layer of comfort and stability. To be honest, the two were even getting used to Snacks being there all the time, although this was mostly because he was very good at keeping to himself. 
The only pressing issue at the moment was his boxes. Mess in general annoyed Angie, but these boxes didn't perturb because of the sight or the inconvenience of clutter. She just hated the concept that a grown man was able to see that disruption, know it was his fault, then continue to go about his day, filled with free time, and be perfectly content knowing his junk was ruining a public space. At this point in her naivety, she failed to realize that all of this extensive thought into what must go on in a grown man's head to allow boxes of his junk to just sit in the public living quarters was completely for naught. Snacks didn't think one moment about the boxes. It was of no concern to him. So as Angie drove herself insane trying to gain his perspective, she missed the biggest personality point of Snacks, which was that to truly empathize with him, you simply had to think what would be the least amount of effort required to survive, and that's the path he would pursue. See, Snacks was not a complicated man. He was fascinating to observe, true, but only because of how little he thought about his decisions. This ranged from boring routines like washing dishes all the way to massive life choices like if he should take that promotion offer at work. The best way to put it would be to think of how gurus are always telling people to live in the moment and live every day as if it were your last. Snacks must have heard this at an early age and locked in from there. He never left the moment. The man would simply think to himself, would I replace the toilet paper roll if I knew I would die tonight? Of course not. And the chore fell upon the next person. Interestingly enough, the still honeymooning Angie would fail to see how her own lover displayed shades of these same traits. After all, Jack didn't unpack his things. Angie did. Maybe she realized this contradiction on at least a subconscious level, and this is why she was reluctant to confront him about it. However, it was now about time to start entertaining a big part of why they chose this particular house, and it was becoming more and more clear that Snacks was not going to clean his mess of his own accord. Angie even considered just throwing the boxes away. Whatever was in there obviously was not that important, and if he was angry at the act, she could just say it was an accident. This line of thinking lost its allure as she realized that this was a short-term solution that would run the risk of begetting much bigger problems in the future, and she was not naive enough to fool herself into thinking Snacks was moving out anytime soon, so she just decided it was better to approach him amicably and ask him to move his shit out as soon as he could accommodate. Snacks somehow had been able to hold down a full-time job despite his inability to execute basic adult tasks. He was an assistant manager at a nearby Best Buy, the same Best Buy where he was hired about 15 years ago. He had managed to coast there for a good 10 years before his superior told him that, although his performance was decent, he was simply becoming too seasoned for his entry-level position. Performance review after performance review, Snacks had skillfully avoided a promotion in favor of the low-paid but dead-easy position of working the register and stocking the shelves. The time had come for him to make a choice, accept the promotion or receive his notice. Snacks relented and accepted his new position as assistant manager and has since held this post. His work hours were pretty regular, which made it all the more frustrating when Angie found it impossible to find him and then press him about moving his damn boxes. Angie spent the first five weeknights doing all of her leisure activities in the front room, expecting him to emerge at least to use the restroom at some point. But even pushing herself to stay up well past 2300, he remained elusive. She was opposed to knocking on his door or even just sending him a text message because she didn't want him to think that she was being excessively naggy or, God forbid, domineering. She felt that the three of them should all adopt an equal partnership in the home, even if all decisions would officially come down to the mortgager's ruling. In her opinion, there was no need for a traditional hierarchy, and though she might not admit it, she would also have been hesitant to instill one due to the newness of their relationship and the overall situation. 
Her mention of the issue needed to come up as organically as possible, and as if it weren't a big deal at all, which was becoming less and less true with each passing day. Despite a heavy desire to believe otherwise, she was starting to feel like she was being avoided, especially after she flaked on plans for that weekend specifically to run into him and he never showed. She had to really work hard to suppress these suspicions when she was sure he heard him run full speed to his car upon opening his bedroom door. She had shot out too, but the sneaky tenant had beaten her out the front door, revved his engine, and sped off out of sight before she could get a word in. Was he seriously avoiding her to get out of moving those boxes? Or was he hiding something even bigger from her? She confirmed that she needed to reach him post-haste or else her paranoia would spike and this minor inconvenience would turn into a hurricane that would leave her undone and, of course, him no worse for it. That next night, she knew Snacks was going to be heading out with Jack to a concert and that they were scheduled to leave the house at 1800. Determined to catch her prey, Angie literally sat in front of his door, leaning her back against the wood until he emerged. She had her earphones in, her favorite LA Kings podcast playing, and she even had a broom right next to her too so she could act like she just happened to be sweeping at the time. Of course, he opened it not even 45 seconds into her sojourn, and she had to get herself to her feet and laugh off the embarrassment of being caught lying in wait for him. Hey, Snacks. You okay? He asked as he gave her a mixed look of confusion and disgust that kindled her cheeks red with shameful heat. Yeah, I was sweeping and thought I saw something on your door. Anyway, are you going to the concert? Uh Uh-huh. Cool. I love that venue. You know, I almost got a job working with them. I interviewed and everything, and I was this close to accepting because I really liked where they were going. Like, tonight, actually. A cute cuneiform? It's such a great fit. Drum-heavy bands and those acoustics? Amazing. And every seat's a good one, Angie said as she resisted the urge to brush off the dirt from her pants that clearly proved she had not been sweeping. Yeah, I've been there a few times. I'm sure AC will kick ass in that setup, he replied. For sure. Angie said as she stood blocking his path, panicking under the pressure of now having to actually confront him. So, by the way, I'm glad I caught you, she said as she forced some contrived laughter, because I was going to ask you if you needed those boxes in the living room. Yeah, those. They've been in there, and I'm like, did he forget his stuff? The nerve-inspired laughter was enough to make Snacks visibly cringe as she continued. I don't know, just want to be sure in case they get tossed in the trash or even damaged. You know, your brother, he might like knock them over or something. I just don't want anything to break, you know? Yeah, I'll get him. There's nothing important. I've just been putting it off, but I'll take care of it. Awesome. Thanks, man, she said as she playfully punched him on the arm. I don't know about you, but Jack and I are really having fun living here. Crazy how perfect it's been, huh? I never doubted it would be. He said in a tone that Angie initially read as offensive until he added, Thanks again for letting me stay here. Saved my ass big time. Oh, don't even mention it. We couldn't survive without you. Anyway, I'll let you go and get to the fun. Thanks again. Angie turned to her bedroom and did her best not to rush out so she could take a huge breath of relief. She plopped onto her bed as she heard her boyfriend and his brother exit the house. She had done it. She got snacks to acknowledge his mess and commit to riding the ship. Of course, she would have to stay on him until the boxes were officially unpacked or at least moved into his room, but it was a good first step. Good enough, in fact, that she felt she had well earned herself some ice cream and an hour of some garbage network TV binging. (laughs) 
One night after a particularly long week, Angela lied in bed with Jack as he flipped through the news channels, trying to find the one that shared his particular bias on a current event. She hated the news with a passion and instead dove into her copy of Ulysses, of which she made a habit of reading two pages every night. Finishing the last sentence of the page, she nodded to help convince herself that she had a handle on what was actually going on in that confusing orgy of literary grandeur. It was a warm night, so they left their bedroom door open, as well as the screen facing the backyard. This was important because it meant their conversation would echo down the hallway, and if Snacks was so inclined, he could eavesdrop as he pleased. Not that they would say anything negative behind his back, but still. Angie leaned over to Jack and dove right in. What was Snacks like as a kid? Jack replied without much vigor. He was mom's favorite. Everyone said so. Really? It was that obvious? feel like she showers you all with tons of attention. But maybe it's because my mom wasn't super lovey-dovey like that. Yeah, she always served his meals first. You know how Italians are. Well, I guess you didn't have brothers, so maybe not. The oldest gets everything. Plus, he looked just like my mom's dad, which she mentioned like every day. She used to grab his face and squeeze it, saying, Papa, Papa. Isaac used to give him shit all the time for it, but it was obvious he was just jealous. She processed this thought for a beat, then followed with, Did she, like, ever outright favor him over your brothers? It wasn't like she ever left us out. She just got his things first. One time, when we were at our cousin's birthday party, I was eight, Snacks was 15, maybe he already turned 16. He's already a young adult or whatever, and I'm a little kid. Anyway... My aunt's cutting the cake, and my mom's helping to hand out the slices to all the kids. Of course, Snacks gets his slice first, not just before me. Like, she literally hands him a slice before my cousin, the birthday boy. In fact, she gave us all a slice before he got his. My aunt never forgot that either. So, Snacks gets his slice first. He inhales it because it's his favorite flavor, and he immediately starts pestering my mom that he wants to go home. He's bored because it's all little kids, and he wants to read comic books or whatever. Well... He bugs her enough that she packs us all into the car, my dad included, and half of us are like riding with a slice of cake in our laps because we didn't finish eating and our aunt served everyone on her nice plates that we couldn't take home. The worst part was me and my cousin were in the middle of planning the sleepover, which was now a no-go. It's dumb, but I guess I do think about it a lot. Wow, Angie said as she began to put the puzzle together. So did he wield that power or he just rolled with it? I wouldn't say he used it to his advantage, necessarily. He knew he could get anything out of it, but it's not like he weaponized that. I don't know. To be honest, we all knew how to butter up my mom. Like you said, she was always going to do anything for us. That's sweet. She rested her head on his chest, happy to hear more and more about his family and upbringing, and getting a better perspective on snacks was the icing on the cake. When talking with Jack about his family, she could inquire with a little more pressure than with snacks, but not much more. It's true that she handled her boyfriend with a light grade of kid gloves, which she was now realizing probably brought him some edible comfort, but she had no real fear of upsetting him with prying questions. She took much comfort in this truth and considered it as part of their strong relationship's foundation. Thus, she began again with, What about, like, when you first got your apartment with snacks? How was it living with him there? I don't know, the same. Sensing resistance, she shifted gears with, Where was he living before that? Before we got our place, me, Snacks, Isaac, and Stanley were the last ones at home with mom and dad. My dad joked that Snacks got a fire under his ass when he realized Stanley was going to be going to college. I was moving out, and he might be left there with just them two once Isaac moved on. You were going to live with Bart at that time. Yeah, 
and Snacks kept bugging me about letting him move in with us. I told him it was a two-bedroom, and obviously the two were filled. It was super small, too, so when we got settled and he started staying over on the couch all the time, we barely had any space. I figured he would see for himself how there wasn't really room for him, but he just kept crashing there. So then you just let him move in? Pretty much. He was just always there, and I figured we could use that huge break on the rent, especially when Isaac started asking to move in. We were super broke at the time. Angie waited for a beat before asking, but they never paid rent, at least not regularly, right? No, they were pretty bad about it, replied Jack, completely missing the point. Yeesh, she added to land the conversation. This was still pleasant news to her because she knew Snacks had lacked ambition, but he did seem susceptible to some form of influence in the form of the stigma of being stuck as the only son still living with his parents. It seemed that shame was the route to take. But how do you shame someone who's forced his way into living in his younger brother's new home and who's performing his role of tenant in an increasingly obstinate way? Wasn't that shameful enough? She hadn't even got to this part, but Snacks also hadn't even paid any rent yet. They agreed upon a fair $500 a month to cover basic utilities and such, and Snacks looked her right in the eye when he accepted. Angie made the mistake of blaming herself for not asking him and keeping him honest, and every month her self-blame only grew, making it more and more difficult to collect. Now there were over half a year into this arrangement to the point where it was extremely awkward because she didn't know if she should be asking for back pay or just start fresh. Why are you so interested in Snacks' childhood? Jack laughed as he turned off the TV. I don't know. I never hear about him in your stories. Him or Stanley. Jack quickly informed. Yeah, Snacks and Stanley always kept to themselves. I was probably the only one Stanley really talked to, to be honest. Why you? I think because I was the closest in age. He was the baby, and I had just been the baby, so I was like a mentor, I guess. Angie did not need to clarify with Jack because she already knew very well that it was more than that. Jack and Stanley got along because they were both kind, selfless men. Perhaps the same could not be said for his oldest brother, but truth be told, men like Jack and Stanley were a rarity regardless. Although she never met the youngest Nerosi and truly had never heard any story of him whatsoever, she knew all she needed to know about him by the simple fact that he had a rapport with her beloved. Instead of pressing him for more about his brother, she let Jack peacefully drift off. She reached over and shut off the lights to hasten the departure. However, she found it hard to shut down with all of this new information to process. Being the tactical mastermind that she was, she began workshopping new ways to approach snacks. She was thinking much beyond moving the boxes now, but about establishing a dynamic that would resemble that of a parent, even though he was many years her senior. Essentially, she wanted the authority and the respect, but not at the cost of coming off as a hard-ass. She, of course, didn't realize that she was dealing with the same challenge nearly all parents encounter. Well, maybe not Mama Nerosi. This was her house, after all, and she had the authority within its walls. But what a boorish manner of living to act like that. She had built her entire life around being a strong woman who never backed down from positions of influence, but also one who never ramrodded her way through her problems. She just needed a little more creativity is all. Yes, in the following days she would come up with something that would reestablish the power dynamics in an effective manner that would please all parties. Until then, she would get a good night's sleep next to the man of her dreams.
That was an excerpt from my debut novel, Angie's Moo, which is available on Amazon right now, ebook and in print. So make sure you check that out. And Matsudenza season two coming July 5th. That's five new stories, including the introduction of Detective Deleandra Desarian, a multi-part story that's gonna end the mid-season break. So anyway, make sure you are subscribed. We're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere you can find podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening.